Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for each one that is here today and our special guests from Rochester. Lord, we just ask that you would take each part of this service. And Lord, you would help us to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be so if you would and turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29. We're going to look primarily at one verse today. We're going to tie in many other familiar passages with this one verse. And this one verse should be somewhat familiar to most of us here today. It is oft quoted, not often in context, but it is an oft quoted verse. And the book of Proverbs, again, is continuing in the section of poetry. The last two Sunday mornings we've been in Psalm 37. And again, in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew way of doing poetry, they do not rhyme words. They rhyme or contrast ideas. And in this verse, we're going to see two ideals here contrasted, kind of bounced off each other as we do words in rhyme. And I believe there'll be some things that will help us. If you like titles for messages Uh, Today's uh, title is, How is Your Vision? How well do you... Well, I'm not going to clarify that because we'll go in the wrong direction. When we think of how well your vision, we think of going to an optometrist, uh, getting our eyes checked. But again, we have to let God define His words that are in His book. Amen? Let's read that verse. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now let's read that all together, could we? Here we go. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, Happy is he. Let's do that one more time. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, I read that verse many times, and it said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that's, that's pretty simple. If you can't see where you're going, you can get in a lot of trouble, can't you? Somebody said, why do people in New York City always look at the ground when they walk? Because if you don't, you can get into a lot of trouble. Amen? I mean, there's open manhole covers, there's curbs, uh, there's potholes, there's all kinds of things that you can uh, get into or step in as you walk through New York City. But that's not what this verse is talking about. And I always tried to figure out, well, how in the world does the second half of the verse compare or contrast to the first half? But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Well, if you look very quickly, we have people perishing in the first half of the verse and people being happy in the second half of the verse. Now, you have to understand the word happy in the Hebrew, in your Bible, is not the same word that 
you see pasted all over New York City happy hour at 4 o'clock. The word happy in the Bible is connected to the word blessing or blessed. Now, a few years ago, uh, someone published uh, a book, uh, The Blessing or the Prayer of Jabez, and in there he had a lot of things that said, you know, you got to go around and, and uh, you should bless your children before you put them to bed at night. I had a man come to me and say, now I do that to my children every night. And I just looked at him, I said, who are you? He got a little upset at me. I said, what do you have that's going to be a blessing to your children? If you want to be a ble- if you want to bless your children, give them some of this, amen? You see, blessings come from God. Amen? I mean, isn't that what it's real? I mean, that's where the word happy comes from. In fact, if you've been here on Thursday nights, we've been talking about blessing for the last six months as we've been reviewing and re-reviewing and going back through the Sermon on the Mount. Just one sentence, one verse, sometimes just a few words on a Thursday night. We want to spend the time there to get what God has because I don't know about you... I could use some more blessing in my life. How about you? Is there anyone that has too much blessing? That's the reason why we can't help others the way we want to. Until you get your blesser full, you don't have any left over to give to someone else without depriving yourself of what you need. That's what this verse is talking about. Now let's spend a few minutes defining the word vision. The word vision is found 73 times in your Bible. And not once, never once does it include going to an eye doctor. Now I'm glad those people are out there. Because if they weren't, I wouldn't be able to tell who anyone is in the congregation here today. Uh, and uh, even though I have my contacts in, I now need reading glasses so I can see the other part. I am not getting bifocals. I'm not that old yet. I refuse. But never once in the 73 times in the Scripture does the word vision refer to our physical sight. Every time it is used, it is referring to to understanding the message that God has for us. Oftentimes, the revelation that God would give that is recorded in our scripture was called a vision. Read the book of Isaiah. It starts out with the vision of Isaiah. Isaiah was able to see and understand some things that no one else in his day were able to see or understand. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he wrote his book. And we have it today preserved. That's why we need no new visions today. We need to take care of the one that we have. Amen? I want to read you a verse that uh, it explains it as, as simply and succinctly as it can. 1 Samuel 3, 
Uh, verse 1 says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. How many of you remember the story of Eli and his wicked sons? God was not interested in communicating to his people through Eli, and he certainly wasn't going to use his sons because God was not going to put his stamp of approval in any kind of way upon the wicked man, Eli, and his sons. Little boy, an answer to Hannah's prayer, was being raised right there in the same place where Hophni and Phinehas were doing all of their dirty deeds. It says the word of the Lord was precious. They couldn't carry around a written copy of the Bible like we do today. There was no open vision. God was not communicating. And then God spoke to that little boy and gave his message. How many remember what the message was? It was judgment against the house of Eli, wasn't it? That was God's vision. God wants you to understand this book called the Bible more than you do. That is what vision is. How many of you remember before you were saved? The Bible was a confusing book, wasn't it? It just made no sense. I mean, there's just so many these and thous and do's and don'ts. How many of you love the these and thous today? Because they help you understand what the Bible's saying. Amen. God put them in there for a reason. It's important. Every word. But let's go to the book of Isaiah for a moment. The children of Israel had God's word. God committed it unto them. They were the preservers of his word. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah records a vision that he had here. And we come down here to verse 9, and these are some sad words again from the Bible. It says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away. And there is a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Where there is no vision, 
If we want to understand the thought that Solomon is bringing forth in that verse, it says, where there is no understanding of the words of God, the people perish. God told Isaiah, you tell my people, they can hear all day long, but they're not going to understand the thing they hear. They can see, but they're not going to perceive what they're looking at. Until the land is utterly desolate. Until people are destroyed and perish off the land. Why was God pronouncing this judgment against his people? Because they had his word and they were not listening to it. We probably have some of the greatest preachers that have ever preached alive today. There is more preaching. There is more access to the gospel message. I mean, you can go uh, more places to hear more, and, and I'm not criticizing that in any way. I mean, that is good. But if all we do is hear it, we're still going to perish. Now, there's a second half to that verse. It says, But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. It's not just hearing, it's obeying. We call this our worship service because we want to worship God. Now, we want to talk about how great God is. I love that song. I shall know him by the prince of the nails in his hand. Written by a blind woman who could see more than most of us ever have. She says, when I get to heaven, I'll know who Jesus is. I'm going to see the nail prints in his hands. I'm going to know him. I'll tell you what, how many of you are looking forward to that day? That's talking about the goodness of God. I love the hymn they played, the hymns that the band played. Robert Dick Wilson, one of the founders of Princeton Seminary, one of the most educated men that ever lived in this country. When he was toward the end of his life, one of his students said, Dr. Wilson, what's the greatest truth that you know? He said, that's simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You don't have to go to college to figure that one out. But what Mr. Wilson, Dr. Wilson proves is the more you learn truly about the Bible, the more you'll love the simple truths that are in it. Amen? But he that keepeth the law. Now I know we live under grace, not under the law. But we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, if you're going to enter my kingdom, 
The law says, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. He's saying if you can't forgive your fellow human being, not your fellow Christian, he says you're in danger of missing out on heaven. He said, it's, it's better if your eye, your right hand, your foot is keeping you from serving God to get rid of those things than to miss out on keeping your heart pure. And by the way, the issue there is lust. And it doesn't have to be pornography to be lust, now does it? It can be power, it can be money, it can be position, it can be esteem, it can be a dozen things. But if you want any of those things more than you do Jesus, you're going to miss out on heaven. How many people have you met who have given their life? They've poured out their life's blood for something just to lose it. My father-in-law, we've talked about this. He's been building his log cabin there for almost 10 years now in West Virginia. He says, I'm never going to finish it. He says, everybody I know that finishes it, they die. He said, so I'm not going to finish mine. There's a problem with, with, there can be a problem with that. I think Brother Marshall's got it under control. You give your whole life so that you can do something and you're going to lose it except serving God. Amen? That's what it says. He that keepeth the law. It says in the Sermon on the Mount, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's what the law says, isn't it? But we're to love our enemies, aren't we? Now, just so you understand, loving your enemy is not sharpening the knife and giving it to them to kill you. Loving your enemy is giving them the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest way you can love your enemy. Amen? But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. It's not just hearing... It's not just understanding the Bible. It's not just being able to write a commentary on it and explain every word and nuance in in English and Hebrew and Aramaic and any other language you'd like to put in there. It says, He that keepeth the law, happy is he. We have a great dichotomy in our society today. That's a big word for a division that we put there. Uh, The modern term is compartmentalizing. How many of you have heard that word? You need to learn to compartmentalize. You know, you can be a Christian on Sunday, but on Monday you have to live in the real world, and if you're going to win the rat race, you've got to be the best rat. So on Monday, be a good rat. On Sunday, be a good lamb. That's not biblical. You can't separate how you live from what you believe. 
If you do, you enter the realm of philosophy, and it won't be long before you pass from philosophy to sophistry. Everybody know the difference? Philosophy is when you can stand around and talk about things and all the thoughts that make it up. Sophistry is when you can understand all of those thoughts and they don't do you a blessed bit of good. We have another word that's very close to that. It's called politician. We got ourselves into this mess by spending too much money, so we're going to get out by spending ten times too much money. That's sophistry. That is knowing what's right, and it doesn't do you a bit of good. That's where a lot of religion is today. That's why a lot of people hate going to church. Because what goes on inside those four walls doesn't affect what happens when we leave. Now this verse says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I will tell you, there are more pulpits today. There are more places. If you don't like church, uh, I think there's people on the Internet that have church on the Internet. You just uh, log in and, and you can hear things. And, and, and I'm not always against that, but I'm, I'm for what goes on in this book. And this book talks about something. Let's go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. I want to just give us a few moments of application here. And hopefully I'll have you done early this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what Paul is saying. We're going to start reading in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. This is the key verse I want us to look at. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. They were Greek. They were the philosophers. They could tell you everything about anything. You know what a specialist is? How many people know what a specialist is? That's someone who learns more 
and more about less and less. They may know where I'm going until they know absolutely everything about nothing. The Greeks were specialists. They knew everything. And it's interesting today that these words that Paul penned almost 2,000 years ago are echoed again and again in our papers and in our talk shows and in our media. If you hold this book up and say, I believe God created the earth in six literal days, you're a fool. Anybody that knows anything knows that the earth is billions and billions of years old. Now, let me tell you something. I've read some books on scientific dating. And you talk about foolishness. That is foolishness. They have found New rock contained inside some of the oldest rocks that they have. As they break this rock into, they find a concealed unit and they date the outer layer and it's old and inside they find a piece of rock that's absolutely brand new. Now, if that were me, that would tell me something's wrong with my dating system. But what they do is they pick and choose the best dates that agree with the data that they want it to agree with. You ask me who's foolish. You see, the world will always say knowing God is foolish. In fact, I had one person tell me one time, he says, you Christians, you're just so silly. You just plug God into the equation and he answers all the questions. And I said, you people are the silly ones. Because you don't have any answers at all that make any sense. Unless we put into the equation there is no God. That's the cornerstone of evolution. Pull that out and evolution collapses like a house of cards. It makes absolutely no sense. The world will always tell you wisdom is to ignore this book and to ignore God. We're not here. I'm not going to the Museum of Natural History and trying to argue with the scientists there. It wouldn't matter how many doctor's degrees I have after my name. It wouldn't matter how many things that I can prove that I'm educated and have the right to discuss with them. They're not going to believe me because I hold this book called the Bible. Nor are we going to take the foolishness that is taught over there and bring it into our church. Amen? Because you see, where there is no vision, that's where the people perish. Now you show me one life that has been enhanced and made better by the teaching of evolution. And I'll have every person in this room who's been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ give up and give a testimony to what believing in this book has done in their life. Amen? 
You see, it's the foolishness of preaching. We do not claim, nor are we looking for, approval from the world for what we do here on Sunday morning. What we're trying to do is take the words that are in this book and make them simple enough to understand so that you can take them home and live them because that's what vision is. Christianity is so simple. It's not complex. You do not have to have a deep analytical mind to understand the greatest truths of this book called the Bible. Jesus loves me. Why? God never answers that question. He just tells us about it. And if you believe that, it'll change your life. It'll give you something to hold on to when everything else falls apart. Amen? If you're here today and you're not saved, there's only one way you can get saved. It's by believing what this book called the Bible says. Amen? The first thing it says is, you, me, every person that has ever lived is a sinner. The second thing it says is you can't pay for your sin. The third thing is that Jesus paid for all sin, every one of them. And the last part is if you'll surrender your life and believe in Jesus Christ, he'll save you. We've been here 16 and a half years. I was taking one of the kids in to see the pediatrician and he was telling me, what do you Baptists do for Easter? I said, well, you have to understand. We have a little different perspective on it. I said, we don't have a service where we don't mention the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really every Sunday in our church. Oh, I know you say that, but don't you do something special? Yeah, we get flowers. That's what we do. And in our Sunday school time, we stop our regular pathway through the Bible and, and we do the Easter story or the resurrection story. But, I mean, we, we don't have a special literature. We don't have, uh, we really don't change what we do because every Sunday is about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the foolishness of preaching that God uses to save the lost. You see, we're not capable of controlling ourselves and really understanding everything on our own. That's why we have to have this book called the Bible preached to us on a regular basis. This is what God uses to confine us and regulate us and move us in that direction. This is what seeing is all about. I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor, I really enjoyed that message. And I'm sitting here going, I don't know. I'm glad you did. I don't know what I said that was enjoyable, but the Holy Spirit of God must have done something there to minister that word to that heart. And that's what we rejoice in. Amen. It's not about the preacher. It's about the subject. 
And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the foolishness of preaching. Let's go to James chapter 2. Now this again is a familiar passage. You should know these verses. If you don't underline them, go back and read them and memorize them. Verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And then we get a beautiful example here, one very simple and very clear. For if any man, if for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Do you get that picture? It says, if you're a hearer of the word, not a doer, it's like looking into a mirror. How many of you have looked into a mirror and you got everything all just the way you wanted it? And then you come home and walk past a mirror and look in there. And I didn't see that. Here I went to church and I had breakfast between my teeth the whole time. Oh man, that is gross. That is what hearing and not doing is like. It's like looking in the mirror and forgetting about it. But if you're going to look into the Word of God, the verse next verse says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, that man shall be blessed in his deed. What happy he that keepeth the law? Happy is he. He that continueth therein is blessed in his deed. And then the, the writer here gives us uh, one warning and sums this up in verses 26 and 27. It says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It's to help people who need help, who are powerless. They didn't have social programs and all of those things like we do today. The widows were dependent upon what happened at church for food through the coming week. The fatherless was the same thing. It was to be a real help, but there's an and in there. It's not just enough to help and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, I want you to understand something. There's not a one of us in this room that could raise our hand and say, I'm unspotted this week from the world. Because every one of us has sinned. You see, this hearing and doing is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process. It is continuing therein. It's, I, I wish as a preacher I could preach one sermon and that's all you would need for your whole life. But that's not the way God designed church. You see, he designed church to be a place of preaching. Amen? 
to be a place where you can be encouraged and reminded and occasionally, or more than occasionally if need be, rebuked and exhorted to continue serving God. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul's giving instruction to his young preacher in training here, Timothy, and he's sending Timothy into some pretty deep territories, asking Timothy to do some pretty tough things. And he's explaining to him how to organize the church and get uh, preachers, or, or the Bible word here in First in Timothy 3 is bishops and deacons in the church. And, and verse 14, he sums this up. He says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Paul says, now, Timothy, I want you to understand something here. I might not get to you to help you and, and lead you as, as I desire, but I'm writing these things that if something happens to me, you're going to know how to behave yourself in the church. Because the church has two functions. It is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, pillar, that's pretty easy. You see these big wood things sticking out of the wall there? You'll notice one is missing back there right above the band. And when we look at those things, they say, oh man, those are pretty important. They help hold the building up. No, they're ornamental only. Don't worry, band, you're safe. The pillar is in the wall. If you look out on the outside of the building, you'll see the wall come, and then there'll be a place where the wall gets actually twice its ordinary thickness. That is called a column or a pillar. There's 36 inches of steel in those little brown things that stick out of the wall, out of the ceiling. They hold the roof up. They help hold the walls together. That's what a pillar does, is it holds things up. It supports. It makes it strong. It makes the place usable. The church is the pillar. We are to support the truth. How? Through the foolishness of preaching. Amen. Through the challenge to live and to obey God on an ordinary and daily basis. You're not to be a hearer only. You're to be a doer. It is also the ground. The best way I can explain a ground is using electrical. We love the fact that the lights light up, do we not? And in the summertime, the air conditioning comes on. 
In the wintertime, the heat comes up. All of those things need electricity to make them operate. Now, in the olden days, it used to be you changed the light bulb and you touched the wrong thing. Uh, you just might get a little bit of that juice that was lighting the light bulb running through your body. I remember somebody left an old mixer. And I said, oh, that'll be great. I'll use it for um, mixing up some of the uh, joint compound on the wall. Well, my hands were wet for mixing up the joint compound, and it was a metal-bodied mixer, and it wasn't grounded. So guess who got grounded? <laughs> said, I feel a tingling here. I know there's nothing spiritual in this powder here. I, I think I'd better put this thing down. I mean, it got scary. This building is grounded. It's got three six-foot-long copper rods driven into the ground. And all of the electricity in the building is tied up to those rods and put into the ground, and that way, if the electricity starts heading in the wrong direction, it is directed safely into the ground and not into the person sticking their finger in the wrong place. Amen? Now listen, the church is the ground of the truth. It keeps the truth moving in the right direction. I am studying church history in my first class. And one of the greatest things you will learn is not everything that calls itself church is church. Error has been a, a part of church history from the very beginning. It took the Orthodox and Roman Catholic Church until the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. to figure out that Jesus was truly the essence of God, God of gods, and yet a different person than God. It took them from the time of Jesus and the apostles until 451 A.D. to figure out who Jesus is. Now, if you don't know who Jesus is, can you be saved? That's why... We're Baptist. We don't trace our history through the Orthodox Catholic Church hierarchy. It didn't take us 451 years to figure out who Jesus is. Because he told us in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was preached in the book of Acts. And everybody who got saved in the book of Acts knew who Jesus was. They didn't have to worry about it and wait until 451 A.D. to figure out who he was. Scary thought, isn't it? But you see, Jesus' church was still operating. You know where it's listed in history books? Under heretics. Literally. You know why? Because they disagreed with the church that couldn't figure out who Jesus was, so they had to be called heretics. But they knew who Jesus was. Maybe they were grounded in the right direction. Amen. They were still holding up the truth. And those that didn't know what truth was were arguing with them. Now here's where we're going. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs and we'll be done. 
Proverbs 29. If you're keeping up with your Bible reading schedule, guess what today's reading is? Proverbs chapter 29. Amen? Verse 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, I just want to try to tie in everything that we've looked at today in these last few moments, and we'll be done. Vision, according to the Bible, is understanding the words of God, not just being able to see. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where are you going to hear the Word of God explained in a way that you can understand it? Church. You want vision? Where should you be? Church. But it's got to be the right kind of church. It's got to be the kind of church that teaches the Bible. Amen? So, the first place we got, where there is no vision. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Salvation is not in the church. It's in Jesus. Salvation is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church is non-topical for you until you get saved. Then you can get baptized, and then you can join the church. Amen? Because this idea of vision doesn't only apply to your salvation, it's supposed to apply to every point of your life. You see, he that keepeth the law... That's the happy guy. Happy is he. Uh, where are you going to be encouraged to keep God's word? Some of you got it. You can say it out loud. This is a church. You see, it's the foolishness of preaching where you're going to understand the word of God. That's vision. So if you're going to get vision, you've got to be in if you're going to be explained, uh, encouraged to be more than just a hearer, but to do things, you got to go to the kind of church where the preacher's willing to look you in the face and say, hey, this has got to change. Amen? That's vision. Keeping the law by yourself is impossible. That's why Jesus ordained the... Well, you're not getting it this morning. <laughs> Jesus designed the church to encourage us to be doers and not hearers. If you want vision, where do you go? There you go. And if you want to be happy during the week, what do you do? What was preached about in church, amen? You see, we spent the last two weeks on Psalm 34. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. I just wanted to spend one more week tying it all together. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Mark the perfect man and follow him. Those are the commands that are in that song. How can you do that? Get vision. When you understand it, then you do it. And when you do it, 
then you have the blessings. We could give so many examples. How many of you remember what it was like trying to earn your own salvation? Was that very happy? Did you ever have any peace? Did you ever feel that you were good enough? No, that's how, the, that's how false religion controls you. But when you come to Jesus and understand your sinfulness and His righteousness and the fact that He wants to make you perfectly righteous, you rest in Him. That's salvation. There's some blessing in that. Amen? How I many of you have had the opportunity to make a Bible-based decision in your personal life and watch God bless it. Hmm? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Tell you, my wife's not here, so I'm not going to embarrass her this morning, but I'll tell you one of the greatest Bible-based decisions I ever made was to marry my wife. And I'm glad she did it. I don't know why, but I'm just going to enjoy it. Amen. But that's where the blessings are. When you make decisions based on the Bible. How many of you remember how confusing life was before you joined a church and started hearing the preaching on a regular basis? Let you see and understand what's going on in the world, not based upon the news media, not based upon the talk shows, based upon the Word of God. Amen? And, and it's not because I'm some kind of guru and you come and I tell you what to believe. That's ridiculous. We send you home to study what this book says so that you can understand on your own. Amen? And I've had some people come and say, Pastor, did you really mean to say this? And I'll go, did I say that? I say, well, I thought you did. I said, well, let's fix that because Moses wasn't on the ark. It was Noah. <laughs> you know, we're all capable of making mistakes. Except this book. Amen? Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, what? Happy is he. You want God's blessings? You say, but there's so much that needs to change in my life. There's so many things. Can we make it simple? Just start where you are today. You can't be super Christian tomorrow. Besides, there's no such thing as super Christian. What it is is a bunch of sinners who are struggling together to be obedient to God's word till he comes back. That's blessing. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would take the words of this verse. As we are told in Scripture, they're, they're deep sayings. There's a lot in this verse. There's so much that we didn't even touch upon today. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict us in our hearts. Lord, we 
so often know what is true and what your word says and choose a different direction anyway. It's not vision. True vision leads us to keeping your law. Lord, we ask that you would be with each soul that is in this room this morning. Our first prayer is for those that are here today that do not know, have not settled the issue of their salvation. Lord, our prayer is that they would be able to come today and allow someone to take the Bible and help them understand their need of a Savior and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for others that have been saved, not scripturally baptized, not a member of any church, that they soon would settle these issues and be able to serve. Lord, we would pray right here with us. Lord, we pray for those that have been obedient in those areas of their life, but as a human being, they're still struggling. Lord, let us not be overcome with the weariness of well-doing, but let us get a vision and keep your law. And then we can enjoy the blessings. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and that today we would humble ourselves and we would lift you up that you may be glorified not only right here, but in the life we live tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.